Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, Tournament of Champion Tournament of Champions. Off to a good start. Uh, welcome to PaizoCon 2021. Hope everyone's having a good time. Uh, I know we're all excited to talk about the Ruby Phoenix Tournament Adventure Path. My name is Patrick Greeny. I was the developer on uh, that adventure path that we'll be talking about today. And uh, with me today, I have James Case, who uh, was one of the authors. He's also an editor at Paizo. I have Patrick Hurley, who was an editor, was the lead editor on the project. And I have uh, Yvonne Sh uh, Shao, uh, who was an author. Um, so uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about um, uh, Fists of the Ruby Phoenix. Uh, it's the latest adventure path for the Pathfinder uh, Second Edition, and uh, it's it's we're really excited to to jump right into it. So um, yeah, let's check out the the cover art for the uh, for Pathfinder One Sixty Seven, which is the next one coming out. Should be should be dropping in store soon. Um, yeah, this is the cover scene for uh, the second volume. It's called Ready Fight. It's the uh, 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 it takes the player characters from you know the pre qualifier uh, which was the first adventure in this series uh, to the grand tournament itself the the actual Ruby Phoenix tournament and this uh, for for those not in the know it's basically a once per decade world tournament where the best fighters from around Galarian come and uh, duke it out in the grand arena for a shot at the grand prize which is uh, a one of the treasures from Haojin the Ruby Phoenix's uh, massive vault. So she has all sorts of artifacts and whoever wins the tournament gets one. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, we, we um, were really excited to work on this particular project. I personally was because it was, it's kind of a, a it's kind of a, a big piece of Pathfinder lore. We first touched on Haojin and the Ruby Phoenix and stuff like a decade ago, you know, that was, that was kind of, uh, you know, one reason we wanted to launch back into this is because it's been 10 years since the the once per decade tournament. So, um, you know, it was really exciting to jump into this this lore and uh, uh, canon that fans really love. Um, we we explored more about Hao Jin and her story in in uh, Pathfinder Lost Omens Legends, and you know revealed that she has returned to the material plane. So uh, it it was kind of a big deal, you know, that this is the first Ruby Phoenix tournament held in her name that she's present for. So you know it's going to be a special one. Um, the AP starts off with a bang. Uh, if we want to check out the Triceratops image. Um, you know, at, you start in. Uh, uh, it's it's not just re restrained to uh, Goka this time. You are on. You start the adventure path on the Isle of Bonmu, which is one of the islands in the archipelago of Minata, which is uh, this island nation in in Tian Sha. And um, you're basically duking it out. You know, with the elements, with each other. There's all sorts of teams, and it's kind of a free for all as you try and uh, gather enough points to qualify for the tournament itself. It's it's kind of a survival. You know. Um, can you like can you survive the island long enough to get to the tournament itself kind of thing and so uh you know the island is clearly not uh, uninhabited it's got all sorts of angry denizens like this triceratops who is not so happy to see the swashbuckler um on, on her <laughs> island uh and uh so if you manage to you know get through that pre-qualifier then you get to go to the tournament itself um 
and the tournament uh, take this year as it as every year for the past 300 years uh, as every decade it takes place in the city of Goka uh, awesome yeah and here's the map of that uh, Yvonne you uh, actually wrote the article on Goka and designed this map um, could you talk a little bit about what that experience was like uh sure so um making goka it's it's actually quite a daunting task because it is also one of the largest cities um on gonloria and it's almost about the same size as absalon possibly even a little bit larger i'm not really sure about the scale <laughs> now and um going into it it actually there was quite a lot to consider because um goka has a very long history because uh, and uh, the, the history of the city itself is intrinsically tied to the history of the whole continent of Tianxia as well, because it appeared a long time ago and then for thousands of years, it's always kind of been there also. And so it's kind of seen through the different empires. Um, so from the likes of Longhua, which is a little bit uh, closer, and then there's also uh, the empire of Shu before that. And um, so going into Goka, the first thing I kind of did was basically I did an outline of um, all the different things that happened in Tuancha and kind of thought about how are these historical events going to affect the city and what things are going to still like what things from those empires are still going to be part of Goka today and what things would change. And so that was kind of where I started with creating Goka and going on from there. Mm -hmm. uh, what what were um, yeah I agree it's it's daunting to make a it's it's really daunting to make a city that is thousands of years old because there's not really any examples from real life to draw from <laughs> I mean like yeah. when we're, talking, we're talking like five thousand years right you know it's not just a couple but yeah the whole uh, fantasy scale of time there mm -hmm. yeah so <laughs> yeah. it's like oh. Yeah, some of these buildings are like ancient, you know, some of them are new. And, and like you said, like, it's it's kind of like Absalom in that like, uh, people from all over Tian Sha and all over the world come to this place, right? So, um, uh -huh. yeah. you know, were there any were there any like, um, uh, uh, particular like, goals? Or, uh, you know, did you have any like, primary objectives while designing the city? Was there one thing you were like, I really want this to, to, to hit? Uh, yeah, there definitely was. Uh, one of the things that I kind of picked with Goka was I wanted to have a metropolitan feeling, and I wanted to be the sort of a modern metropolitan, uh, modern like uh, metropolis, except in the fantasy setting. <laughs> so, um, so minus the electricity, minus the technology, uh, I kind of want to retain the feeling of this is a very fast-paced city where a lot of things are changing every single day. Like you can close the window from one day and then open it. And then it's like, hey, that building was not there yesterday <laughs> or a week ago. And which happens a lot in a lot of space, like building metropolis, a building will be gone. And then mm -hmm. next month you'll be like, that is a new sky riser that was not there before. <laughs> yeah, and I think so, that, that definitely. And so Goka kind of has that feeling in the sense of there are events happening every day, the people there are fast paced, there's a lot of uh, trends. And so, and from the cultural aspect, I kind of went into um, 
sort of what kind of entertainment would you see? And I kind of alluded to a lot of trends that we would see modern day that changes a lot. So kind of like K-pop and fashion and um, like what is popular right now and what is being considered like the thing that everybody is mm -hmm. into. And so that was yeah, definitely, definitely one. Yeah. I definitely remember reading through the Gazetteer a bit later and I was like, oh, there's all this cool stuff here, but it definitely captured that like really metropolitan feel. Um, but I do remember reading through it and seeing a thing where there's like an opera house from Huanggat, which is, you know, the part of our world that takes a lot of inspiration from Korea. And then it was like, they have troops of performers who make, who make like, you know, popular music. Oh, and I was like, I, uh, yes. And I was like, I see, I see where you're going with this here. So, but there's like a lot of like nice little spins on that. There's like, you know, the clothing fashion and a bunch of areas. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was really cool to see kind of that it's, that there's clearly stuff from all over Tiansha in it. Like that felt really mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. And it feels yeah. like, it, it really feels like its own uh, thing too. There's so many elements of it that I'm like, I don't know where, you know, this would be true necessarily in the real world or whatever, but like one aspect of it is like the gambling aspect. Like everyone's always gambling on all mm -hmm. sorts of things like, you know, betting, you know, is it going to rain today? You know, betting like, you know, are they going to put a hot sky rise there, you know, or whatever. Um, you know, they bet on when the waterfall on the north side of the city is going to uh, thaw after the winter or something like that, you know? So, like, they, they yeah. make bets on the exact day. Um, I love that that cultural element, and there's so many things like that in the in the article. And, um, yeah, I think mm -hmm. people are going to really love, you know, Goka. I think it's uh, – I want to ask each of you, actually, you know, if, if you – had to, if you were an adventurer, what what would be your first stop in Goka? Where would you go to first? <laughs> Ooh, well, I was that's hard say. to say. Oh, <laughs> no, you go ahead first because I need to take some time to think. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I think for me personally, I mean, it would probably be. Uh, 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 there's an island it's like called the island of fortune or the red dragon island or something uh, near the top and um it's like this total like pleasure island where there's just casinos and lavish parties all hours of the day there's fireworks every night um you know and and they make bets on uh you know what what order the fireworks will be on or whatever um but uh it just sounds like a a total hoot yeah i think it's uh it's somewhere near Dragonhead district um yeah, there's just mm -hmm. a, a lot of nightlife, and uh, I don't know. I could I could really go for being outside right now and being among the people. I don't know. I guess I'm really craving that for some reason uh, this past year. <laughs> yeah, I was okay, probably going to say – oh, you got yours. Okay, thanks. Um, I would probably pick the never-ending market, actually, mm. <laughs> because it's a place that you can go really early in the morning and see one thing. And then through, throughout the day, it changes. It's, it sells some things on certain days. It sells some things at certain um, hours. And so it's sort of like a place where you can just go in the morning and just stay for 24 hours and basically get your fill of everything from mm -hmm. food to magic items to uh, if, you, if you're the type that cook, you can get fresh vegetables there. And so it's just a place that that's convenient, I would say. Mm -hmm. To kind of just get us get a feeling of okay, what what does Goka have available on the surface, <laughs> in like just everyday life? Totally. Um, mm -hmm. It was uh, 
I will say the the whole city it was difficult to edit because it was so interesting. I kept like forgetting I'm supposed to be editing and just like, oh really? What's here? Oh my gosh! <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh wait, I'm supposed to be editing this, but it's so good. <laughs> um, and I think I think for me it'd be a tie between the never ending market and then watching a. Um, the uh, flying uh, uh, the chariot races, uh, the mm. dragon chariot, the Drake races. races. Drake, yes, yeah. the Drake races. That would that was oh, that sounded so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you got you got one, James. Um, I was probably also going to say Dragonhead. Um, I just like the idea of this like big place that's kind of out on the water in the harbor you know i like being near the water i like that it's a uh you know it, it's right at a port and that's why you get all of the city growing up there there's also like i don't really know what's there but there's a spot that's like an island in the middle of the river between and i usually like that kind of thing i don't mm -hmm. i don't quite remember what's there but i like that element um mm -hmm. i remember i wrote like uh i wrote one of the promo fictions for this and i I remember seeing the thing about that Yvonne put in about gambling and how it's like very well regulated. And I was like, well, Abadar, you know, who's our God of like, among other things like banking and wealth and stuff, like, you know, he has a big presence there. So that makes sense. So I tried to put like a little line in where it's like, it's like very well re regimented. And then like, I think the lead character is like, yeah, I want to go relax in a hotel by the, by the ocean after this. So that's what I'm about. <laughs> That sounds good. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the biggest, obviously, I think one of the biggest things to do in Goka right now, especially, would be to check out the Grand Arena, though, right? So, you know, let's check out that image. Um, the the Ruby Phoenix tournament itself takes place uh, in this Grand Arena, which, you know, as you might expect, is a um, pretty, you know, uh, a, a typical classic, I would say, um, fighting arena that you might find. You know, it's got uh, stadium seating all around it. It's got a, a tile floor floor, you know, flat terrain, so you can, everyone can easily see the fight and nobody has an unfair advantage based on their position. Um, and, and this is where I would say mo most or about half of the fights take place, but, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that it didn't feel like the same fight over and over again, right? So, so this image right here shows a, one of the variant forms of the, uh, Grand Arena. And I know Patrick Hurley that you, uh, enjoyed, uh, this one in particular, <laughs> editing this one, um, because it kind of does take Pathfinder and turn it on its head, so to speak, or turn it on its side, maybe, um, you know, uh, uh, this one, it, it was a, a lot of fun to develop and, and, and think about this, uh, is a, basically it's, it's kind of a sphere, uh, not a sphere, I'm sorry, it's a cylinder. So, uh, this shows a wraparound map, uh, in the lower right hand corner there, you can see like an over a top overview and, um, and what you'll be doing is, you know, you're looking at the, the battlefield from the side rather than from top down and, um, you know, I think this will really, uh, uh, you know, throw some players for a loop and like really kind of make you think about the game in a different way. But in a, another way, it actually works kind of seamlessly, really, because it's still a five foot grid. Um, you still have two dimensions. You know, one of the dimensions is height instead of depth. So it's really very similar and it didn't take that much effort to translate it. It just... Uh, 
it, it kind of gives it a very fun like video gamey feel almost right like a side scroller kind of thing um kind of evokes you know classic 2d fighting games if i were um, a large was... a large monkey at the top of it i would throw some barrels <laughs> <laughs> i was it would be perfect for that i like that <laughs> I also um, noticed that yeah, there I mean, upside down spikes. Oh yeah, <laughs> don't fall on the spikes. Yeah, yeah. But it's I mean, like, it, it's uh, a it high, major. it's a higher level AP anyway. So by that point, you know, most people can probably yeah. jump high. They can probably, they can probably at least hover a little bit. So like, mm -hmm. you know, it it works. Right, and so that was kind of like the uh, that was kind of like you know, how do you make the fights interesting when everyone can fly or when, you know, they have potions of flying and stuff like that at this level. And so, you know, there are basically exhibition fights within the tournament. So there are main fights, which take place on the Grand Arena, and then there are exhibition fights, which are like these extra things that you get grand, you know, big prizes and money and uh, acclaim if you win. And uh, so this is one of those exhibition fights, and it has special rules. The, one of the special rules for this one is you have to touch this like once every round. So yeah, you could fly away and blast the whole place with a fireball but your next turn you better touch it again you know you better hope someone doesn't like you know stasis you or some, or slow you or something like that because if you don't touch it in a given round then you're disqualified so um it was really fun I to play with that and go go ahead oh no the thing i loved about that it was it reenacted the video game thing of if you fall off a platform you're dead like it was just mm -hmm. like <laughs> You know, like, mm -hmm. oh, that's it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. If you fall off, then it's like, oh, you better get back to it. You know, if somebody knocks you, you know, farther away than, than you can run to the next round, then you're toast. So, uh, so it's those kinds of exhibition fights and those kinds of, like, spicing up the tournament with different kinds of things that I think uh, players will really remember. And I, I know it was a lot of fun to develop and, and kind of think about these things, right? So someone mentioned Drake racing earlier. You know, I would be remiss if that didn't show up in, in somewhere in this AP, right? Um, um, so, you know, there's an exhibition match about that and there's, uh, you know, all sorts of things like cage matches and, uh, I'll, you know, I, you know, the list goes on. Um, uh, so another, another aspect I thought that was so cool about this adventure path is uh, that in addition to a wide range of, you know, fighting locations and maps and stuff, there's all kinds of maps. Like there's so many battle maps in this AP. I, I was, you know, it, it was, it's hard to keep them all straight. Um, there's also a huge <laughs> cast of characters. So uh, if we can look at the uh, uh, first image there of the character, uh, this is one of the main rivals that your team will be facing throughout all three volumes. His name is Tino Tung. His, his, uh, you know stories he's a, a monk of a rory kind of a classic martial artist wants to uh really perfect his body and and train his mind and stuff like that and his team is called tino's toughest and they are these affable gracious uh, you know really friendly fighters who the the pcs meet really early on like it's like one of the first things you do in the first volume is is he's like hey oh hey fellow adventurers you know would you like to you know friendly friendly spar and uh and and what I really wanted to achieve with uh, Tino's Toughest in particular was that um, they're here to have a good time, right? They're here at the tournament not to, uh, you know, beat up, you know, senselessly beat up everyone or whatever. They're here to, like, test themselves and see if they have what it takes to win this prize. And, um, and I kind of wanted to instill that tone right from the get-go. I wanted to, you know, I think if a table wants to play gritty and grim, you know, tournament, that's going to be easy. You can definitely do that. Sure. But, uh, that's not what Tino's toughest is here for. They're here for a good time. And, uh, and, and I want, and I, and I felt like that, that example would help, you know, GMs and players get into that mindset if that's what they want to do. Um, 
and along with him, you know, he provide he and his team provide a really great foil for all sorts of other uh, villains. Uh, yeah, let's yeah, this one, um, this is thankfully not another fighting team, but um, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> that would be, uh, no, that would be uh, no. a little one-sided, I think. <laughs> um, but you know, talking about all this tournament stuff, uh, I'd be remiss to say, you know, every of course everything can't go according to plan, right? I mean, if you've seen a tournament arc in a in a uh, you know, in a in a any story what, or game, what tournament or, arc goes goes all according to plan? Yeah. Right, you know, <laughs> I, I can't think. Yeah, that wouldn't be a very interesting tournament, right? If if you knew how it was going to end, if it's like, oh yeah, pack it up, you know, final fight's over, you're done. Good fight. Uh, see you guys. Yeah. Good. See you next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Get better. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, there's there's definitely some surprise um, surprise folks that show up, including that image there. I mean, uh, I think I've already kind of said this on a different stream, but uh, you know, that's King Mogaru, who is one of our kaiju from first edition. It was established a long time ago, uh, and uh, he makes a, a special guest appearance at the tournament, much to everyone's dismay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one of the things I really like about having the side characters is it, you know, it, I think it'd be easy with something like uh, what is a fighting tournament AP to just have it be like, okay, it's 4,000 combats consecutively. And um, mm -hmm. it's nice having the the characters around to, you know, like talk with and uh, kind of build them out. I know a lot of them show up in the first one and then they continue to recur over the course of the AP. So that just kind of, you know, it's nice to have some characters there so that you have some uh, some role play opportunities between, you know, punching people in the arena. Totally. And yeah. you, and since you wrote the third volume, James, uh, I, I remember you had a ton of uh, great like set uh, set role playing encounters with all the different teams. They each really felt like their own thing because because it's a worldwide tournament. Right. So so everyone comes from different parts of the world with different motivations. There's people there, you know, there's there's people there from the lands of the Linorm Kings who want to uh, that team's called Winter's Roar. And they're, you know, these hardened Vikings who are they're the they're the grim, you know, serious ones. Uh, <laughs> if, if that's they're what you want to do. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're there because they're training to fight a Linorm later, so they're like, you know, this is this is our practice round, um, and uh, you know. But there's also, uh, if we can see the image, I think it's the one uh, after after Mogaru. Um, it's uh, uh, of Mafika Ayuari, who um, is a, a character from uh, the Magambia Academy, which um, he's he's going to be a character in Strength of Thousands. Um, so it was fun to like play with different characters from other adventure paths, even and uh, and kind of like show all parts of Galarian, not just Tian Sha, not just uh, Avastan or Garun, but like all over, right? Um, so I remember, yeah, a lot of your your set role playing encounters, uh, James, were just delightful because you know you really got a feel for what these teams uh, were all about, and like they talk different, you know, they they speak differently, they have their own agendas. Um, yeah, yeah. Luis did a really good job introducing the roster in book one, and then David Ross, who did Ready Fight, you know, had all of their combat blocks and that kind of thing. So. You know, I, I think it lets you get a sense for like the different teams there. And there's, I think, uh, Patrick Hurley, I think you might know a little bit better, but like they all, there's like a tournament bracket that you can go along with depending on yes. who wins what. But yeah, the speakers, the speakers to the wins are one of, they're the Magambia team. 
um, they're fun. They're kind of like a bigger team because they're not necessarily all quite as strong because some of them are students and such. Um, so that's nice too, whereas there's like another team that's like three people who are really, really buff or something. So I definitely wanted to, like when I got the outline from uh, you, Patrick Greeny, I was like, okay, like the first two are kind of more of a classic tournament arc. The third one is feeling very JRPG-y. And one of the things that I like about that is when the characters you've, you've met, met previously come back and they've all either changed or they're like, you know, if you beat them the first time, then they're really angry with you. And maybe if it, you had like, you fought and it was to a draw, but it was like a good fight, maybe they respect you more. So I definitely liked uh, kind of calling back to them a lot. And it was nice because I didn't have to make up all the new characters. I only had to follow the map that Luis and David left me. So that was nice. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about the bracket a little bit, Patrick Early? Oh, yeah. So one of the reasons I was uh, excited for um, this was I was a rest I was captain of my wrestling team in high school. So I used to go. I mean, it wasn't quite uh, there was no floating platforms. And but I used to go to a plenty of tournaments. And this was the first time because we there's a bracket you have to follow and there's different seeds for different teams. And, you know, it we had to, it was the first time I had to use my wrestling knowledge of like, oh yeah, okay, the third seed versus the fifth seed, and if this seed wins, then this. And um, I was like, wow, I actually get to use this for editing Paizo stuff. I never thought that would happen. <laughs> but it was, it, was, uh, it was really cool because I think there's enough, um, there's enough upsets and it, it, it doesn't, it's not inevitable. I think, you know, what happens, what happens while the players fight, like, there's good, there's cool outcomes no matter what. I thought it was very, very well organized. So, and it was it, it, one of the things that was a real challenge with that, but I think was so exciting and and it's going to be so fun. Is it's a it's a double elimination bracket, right? So even if you lose, it, like that way, if you lose, you're not out. You're in the losers bracket, which basically all the all the teams that lost in the winners bracket have to fight in the losers bracket, and then at the end, the winner of the losers bracket gets to fight the winner of the winners bracket. It's there's a whole graph. Don't worry about it. But um, you know what's cool? Thoroughly checked. Yeah, thorough, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what's what's great about that, though, is that no two game tables will have the same exact experience, I think, right? Um, you know, it kind of takes into consideration, well, if you lose this match, then you go and do these exhibition matches. If you lose this match, you go here. Um, it's it, It'll be totally different. You could run this AP, you know, five times and have five totally different outcomes. And uh, I think that's one of the, the coolest appeals of it. Yeah. Especially that first issue, you could run it a hundred times and <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah a whole uh, whole island yeah i do see uh in chat izikur is asking um is mogaru statted out and i think that um yvonne i know you've done some work with kaiju there but um i don't think you did mogaru specifically for this one but i think maybe you can talk about how you know the kaiju maybe they're not statted per se, but maybe you can give some insight into how it works. Yeah, that's, um, I think I did it for, that's uh, Monsters of Myth instead. So that's yeah. upcoming as well. And so um, Kaijus, because they're just so huge and um, they're basically impossible to fight almost in a way because they're basically almost an em environmental hazard to a certain extent. So you can't really see them as, um, uh, 
creature of like in probably even level 30 or 40 you have to think of them as they're walking natural disasters and so the way that we're dealing with them now is instead of standing them out with uh, hp or ability scores we're actually just running out uh, what abilities they have as environmental hazards instead and so with mogaru um, i believe he still has his um some of his old abilities from uh, pathfinder first edition so um he still has his laser beams. <laughs> he still has his fireballs, and um, there are also some other uh, new abilities also upcoming. So I'm gonna leave that as a surprise for now. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get too ahead on Luis and Eleanor's products, yeah. but uh, there is some some cool stuff. And like you said, it's not like we switched to second edition and suddenly what Mogaru fundamentally is changed. I mean, he's still a yeah. giant fire breathing lizard, right? So mm -hmm. still got that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a really exciting way to tell that story. I think because that's totally the that's that's exactly right. Uh, Yvonne is like it's a it's a walking natural disaster, right? So you play it as mm -hmm. as a as a natural disaster, right? Um, yeah, it's it's uh yeah really excited for and that that might be the case in uh, Goka. Who knows? I mean, he doesn't show up and hand out candy. We'll just say that. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we do have plenty of new, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be Adventure Bath volumes if they didn't have new monsters. And uh, let's check out the, Jia, the um, Jiangshi and the Bolge. Yeah, that's, this is actually two monsters. Uh, it might look like three, but um, we have the uh, Jiangshi on the left, which is, uh, I can't remember the, the other nickname for them. Um, Hopping Vampire, is that, uh, yeah. is that right? And, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so these these both are from mythology, and we we got to lean in and um, stat up and write about uh, different mythological creatures and put them in Galarian, and that was one of the coolest. Uh, you know, that's one of my favorite things ever is writing monsters. So um, getting to <laughs> you know choose monsters from different mythologies, like uh, the Bolge is from Korean mythology, and and it's uh, kind of this a story of um, uh, a dog that. Uh, bit tries to bite the sun. I think it has to do with lunar eclipses or something like that. And it tries to bite the sun, but it burns its mouth. And then it tries to bite the moon, but then it freezes. Um, I think that's kind of the angle we went with anyway. Uh, but, um, you know, so it's this duality kind of monster where it's like partially fire, partially cold. Um, it's it's kind of a, a you know, double, a double demon dog kind of thing. Um, so uh, uh, that was a really cool one. And there's, there's tons more, you know, there's... Um, Gumiho, Gumihos, which are um, uh, uh, kind of like um, uh, oh yeah, they're kind of related. Yeah, they're kind of a similar thing to Kitsune. I think they all kind of the uh, Japanese, Chinese, and Korean versions all kind of intertwine a little bit historically. But you know, Joanne Hong did a lot of the monsters in the back. Um, she had some like really cool takes on stuff. I remember the the Bulge especially. I was just like, it has this like fire and ice kind of almost stance switch type thing, which I thought was mm -hmm. really cool. There's some other ones um, like the Gumiho is one of them. I know it has like a you know it has a note about its like marble that it stores all of its knowledge in and that kind of thing that I thought was really cool. That's I'm always a big great. fan of seeing like what the classic mythology says, and then it's like, well, how can I turn that? into d6s and checks and that kind of thing and there's a lot of really cool ones in here patrick really because did you see any? yeah go for it do you see any like monsters or anything in the back matter that oh, I mean, stuck out 
there were, gosh, there were a lot. And it's funny because I can picture it's, it's the names that escape me, but the, uh, the, the fiery sparrow birds. Um, oh, it's like oh, the three-legged crows. Yeah. Yep. And, um, there was the, uh, oh, the, be- they weren't necessarily combatants, but the beautiful, uh, uh, kind of knowledge creatures with the very long necks, but the human heads, and they had like a bird's body, and so I can remember the name, the the <laughs> and yeah, the, the, the Joe, behind it. What yeah. that one's a that's a Inman Joe, I believe. Yes, um, yes, yes. Also, yeah, that one was also Joanne. That one's really cool because that, that one. Was... Uh, that's a if you want to see a, a picture of kind of like what it was based on, it was um, they did a, an awesome like giant puppet version of it at the. Um, uh, Winter Olympics in Korea uh, a couple oh, years ago. I'm never aware of that. Oh yeah, it's spooky. Um, it's cool. I'll have to Google uh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the three-legged crow is the the Sanzuwu. Um, that's what that one's yeah. called. And that's from Chinese mythology. It's like a fire. It's like a sun sun crow. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was cool. I couldn't resist a, putting in a piece in mine where you fight up to nine of them because. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how that works and there's like a check before there's like a skill gauntlet before it and basically yes the um depending on how you do on the skill gauntlet you have to fight more and more of the sanzu and i just just like nine is the appropriate number of these to fight so <laughs> yeah yeah it's a weird one because it's like a high level small creature which there aren't many of but it's i mean it's a need more it's like this, yeah totally yeah it's like a little bit bigger i don't know than I'm, I'm yeah yeah. I'm almost more afraid to fight something that's like level, you know, level 15 plus and is this big. I'm like, how would I even hit it? <laughs> I mean, especially a crow, right? I mean, we get yeah. a lot of crows in Seattle and uh, yeah, those things are pretty mean. Uh, if you have, yeah. I don't know. I think my hair uh, since COVID started, it's starting to look more and more like a nest, I think, or something. Cause uh, they, they, uh, I am a target for crows around here. So I'm particularly afraid of these monsters. <laughs> Yvonne, was um, there... I don't know if you've gotten a chance to check out any of the monsters or anything, but if there's any that stuck out to you or... The one that stuck out to me the most, I can't talk about because it spoils the entire adventure. Okay, well, <laughs> then there's something cool in it and we won't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, like, there I is... Okay, I know you played a video game, and <laughs> you probably played one video game, and that's why this is here. But oh my god, it makes me like it made me go and think. Okay, so when I get to the, this creature, what background music am I going to play? <laughs> you'll have yeah, you'll have your pick of the you'll have your pick from a yeah, it's like game, which right? one do I pick? <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's that selection of music that you can pick and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was well, a lot of, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, James, there was a lot of uh, JRPG inspirations for, for some <laughs> aspects of the, the high level play, right? I mean, yeah, it, it gets uh, it gets far out, which is part of the fun. Yeah. I was yeah. also impressed, each of the side teams, James and yours, all of their little arcs or desires can be completed, which I thought was kind of neat. Like it was like a very, like, it's not just the player characters. Everyone has a story if, 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 if the game goes that way. So. I think if there's something that we've noticed about putting in things is that people always get really attached to characters you didn't expect them necessarily 
to get attached to. So I was like, you know, I I have a team from the, I think my personal favorite team of the ones is the Arcadia team a lot. Uh, I just, I really like them. I think they're a lot of fun. But, um, you know, somebody else may may like the Viking team more. So I was just like, well, you know, if people like the, if, People like the Viking team. I want them to have something to look forward to. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it, yeah. It felt like uh, it definitely felt like side quests, kind of in that in that regard. It's like, oh, you can like you can find out what makes each of these characters tick, and there's a lot of the characters too. I mean, it's like eight teams or like seven. You know, there's the player characters, and then there's seven other teams. So, seven times three or four is yeah, that's a lot of NPCs. So. Uh, yeah, uh, GMs, you know, th thankfully there is an article in the back of the first one that talks all about these, so you can uh, make a flowchart or keep them all straight or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully you're, hopefully the players only, only latch yeah. onto a couple, maybe maybe not all 30. But. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like you were saying, like you can, you can adjust the tone a lot, mm -hmm. and I think part of that is, you know, maybe you want to run it really gritty, or maybe you just want to, you know, do the PC rules where, you know, like if people get knocked out, you just say, well, they can stabilize and like you're at a giant thing. I'm sure they have a medic's tent to like feed you healing potions after the fight. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of in the same way there, you know, if like everybody latches on to one team, then, you know, that's the one that the GM can also give a little more focus to as well. And totally. I think Luis and David have built out their personalities a lot. So I think it kind of builds over the course of the AP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think this AP, you know, especially is like really variable, and I think you could run it. Yeah, like the tournament as well as everything else, you could run it, and it'd be different every time. Yeah. Um, there is. Uh, uh, let's see. I do want to throw up the last image uh, before we head to Q and A um, because you know we're entering a land of supernatural uh, stuff. You know, it's high level by the time you're in the third volume, you're 18th level or something like that, and um, and uh, all sorts of uh, crazy stuff starts happening. So uh, you know, I really really enjoyed working on this project with uh, with all y'all and. Um, I thought it was so cool to explore Tian Sha, this you know supernatural continent where dragons are walking around doing stuff, messing with people all the time. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I really hope people enjoy Fist of the Ruby Phoenix. Do we have any uh, questions from uh, Twitch, James? Let me take a look. Um... Thank you. I don't know how to do these these newfangled things, Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Kisne Warlock is saying, are there any co uh, competitors returning from the original 1E Ruby Phoenix tournament? Since I know this is based on a, you know, on a module from 1E. So... Yep. As a matter of fact, there uh, there are a a couple return characters and they, they either reprise their role or um, uh, kind of... So we have like... Uh, characters like Amara Lee, who was the uh, you know venture captain of the Lantern Lodge back when you know that was a thing in Pathfinder Society. So if you if you played a lot of Pathfinder Society back in the day and you miss Amara Lee, she's she still lives in uh, Goka, and um, you'll get to hang out with her. Uh, and also another character that springs to mind is uh, Gomwai, who was um, I think basically kind of one of the main villains from uh, the first module and. Um, 
you know, he, you know, maybe he, uh, maybe it's time to give him a second chance. I don't know. We all have a, we all make mistakes, you know, <laughs> don't worry about Gamwai. He's, he's a nice guy now. Um, he's just trying to make right. And, uh, you got a job working for the tournament. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think people will enjoy if you've played those past products, you'll, you'll get to make a lot of connections, which I think is really cool. Another thing is uh, you can have a potential origin that your character fought in the tournament uh, 10 mm-hmm. years ago, right? Like that's one of the potential yeah. uh, oh, backgrounds the background. you can pick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the player's guide. Yeah. There's all sorts of different um, yeah, uh, player backgrounds because this is the first AP we've done that starts at um, – not at first level it starts at 11th level so um that was a really interesting part of this this whole project was um how do we you know how do you start a story at 11th level and finish at 20th level you know we, we finish at 20th level all the time but when you start at 11th level it's like well you can't just assume you know you're the you know you're the daughter of a farm farmer and the farm burned down and you became an adventurer that's not going to fly so you know your 11th level you you can pick from these new player uh backgrounds and they they kind of are uh, uh they're definitely more like they're more like you fought in the tournament last time you weren't strong enough you've trained for 10 years you're ready to make good on your promise to be the winner this year um you know and other yeah exactly you you know you've done the the one punch man you you've you've really like trained your body and mind for uh yeah and uh, it's uh so that was like, really cool yeah i think like the concept of like world's greatest martial arts tournament is kind of the thing that works better when you're starting not at level one. I mean, maybe if you wanted to do it at level one, you'd, you'd spend the first three, you know, training or something. But I like that we're starting at level 10, because honestly, if you're level one, what are you doing going to, <laughs> to going to Danger Island and, you know, fighting martial artists and running away from giant terror birds or whatever? Watch out for Cthugas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> It wouldn't be a, a yeah. tropical island without a cathedral, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I have another question here. Uh, TRDJ has some has I think two that kind of go together. One is how important do you think it is for the PCs to win every match and you know ensure that everything's to death so that they can keep going and if they don't necessarily want to have, you know, multiple combats every session, is there a way that they could maybe, you know, adjust that? Uh, you know, uh, we kind of touched on this a little earlier with the double elimination bracket style, but um, it's absolutely, I'd say, you know, depending on your GM's leniency and stuff like that, it's not critical at all for you to win, you know, every, every fight, uh, you know, um, presumably you know you might start stretching credulity a little bit if you lost four <laughs> fights and they're like oh the team you know dropped out or whatever uh, you know um, this team got sick um can't can't fight so you you get to go in again um that might start to feel a little weird after the first couple times but um you know you can totally lose one or even two of the fights and um still the story still makes sense and it, it still makes sense even if you don't necessarily take part in the tournament in the way that it's written too you could ostensibly you know kind of glaze over the fights if you don't want to do to do those or you could summarize them uh you know kind of roll a couple uh you know performance checks and stuff like that to, to kind of skip over them there's uh, i think there's suggestions built into the text you know about how to 
um, represent crowd favor and stuff like that. And uh, so you could you could pretty easily, you know, just hand wave a lot of that if you're more into the role playing side of stuff. I think there's like like all with all these characters and locations and stuff like that. There's plenty of ground for just role playing if that's if that's what you're into. You know, I I really like to role play as well. So um, I think there's you could easily do like one fight per session and then have everything else that day be you know kind of like around the fight you know like uh you know hanging out at the the tavern with with the team you just fought you know later that night and stuff there's all these places and settings and situations you can be in um you know there's events that that split up the the fights for sure that's something we considered a lot with this one is it's like how do we make it not feel like a series of 20 fights uh right so that's yeah. uh yeah good question and i think there's some stuff where you could just you know the there's a lot of stuff that's in the Goha Gazetteer and you can just go down to the and go down to the market, grab some food or something between fights, and maybe that's where you see, I don't know, one of the rival teams or something. Yeah. And in Goka, I actually did also think about how um in order to not have it be all fights in a row, there are definitely also locations that you can just consider in terms of just going for sightseeing. So um, there are definitely a few kind of geographical locations that are interesting that you can just go and kind of take in the sites as well. So like up in the north, there's a section called, um, let me check actually, it's called the Ganting and the Heads because it's a bunch of tiny little kind of small um, islands that are just right off a very sheer cliff. And so it's, and um, in the south section, there's also called a kind of uh, geological, geological formation of basalt columns that it's called the uh, it's called Shalene's Comb, I believe. And so these are just kind of um, places that you can kind of unwind a little and just take in the size and kind of have have some time to either just chat in your party or maybe have a couple of NPCs show up to basically um, interact as well. So these are also kind of opportunities that you can look for and kind of um, have your party relax a little before going back into the next fight basically yeah that's yeah that's super cool i like that a lot um nonet one has a question are there any rules for the bouts or is it anything goes the uh there, there's, uh, and I think it's in the player's guide too. So you can actually check it out if you want to just download the player's guide on paizo.com. Um, the uh, rules are summarized in a sidebar and they're very similar to the rules in the original module if you played that 10 years ago. Uh, if you didn't, then it's basically a fight to KO. You know, um, it uh, you could play it a fight to the death, I guess, you know, just kind of assume that happened, whatever. It's kind of it's left the GM in the table in that regard. Um, you know, it, it's it's assumed, I think, to be a KO. Um, it's not like you, you know, decapitate your foe in the middle of the arena or whatever, um, unless you want to do that, you know. But uh, <laughs> then, you know, and, and maybe there's an evil team, maybe, that is kind of like that nasty. So, um, uh, you know, but you the, the rules are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'd be, I mean. I would love that. That would be an interesting campaign. Um, yeah, the the main villains would be like, "Whoa, you got this!" Um, you know, <laughs> Go uh, down, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're gonna hang out with Tino and them. They're pretty chill. Uh, you guys you do you. Um, uh, so the the basic rules are fight to KO, last team standing wins, and you 
and don't loot the bodies afterward. Those, those, the treasure and stuff is accounted for in the prizes. You know, it's kind of poor mm -hmm. form to, uh, you know, loot the bodies of your if your unconscious rivals. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're gonna wake up and you're gonna have to see them tomorrow in the locker room, and they're gonna be like, "You stole my, you stole my granddad's you stole my sword. amulet. <laughs> yeah, you stole my amulet, <laughs> the sword. Yeah, <laughs> give it back." <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that could have ramifications in later mm. bits of this. Totally. And and, um, and there's also those exhibition fights that have their own kind of rules. Each of them is like totally different. Yeah. Some have some really weird ones. So. Mm -hmm. um, Shindit Nemo has something here. Um, so I know that this is our 11 to 20. And before that, we had Abomination Vaults. Um, so they asked if there's any suggested hooks to connect Abomination Vaults with Ruby Phoenix. Uh, we took that into consideration, and 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 um, that was definitely something we thought about as we developed both these. Um, it seemed like a natural kind of segue, actually. You know, you become the heroes of uh, the Isle of Cortos, more or less. Um, by the end of Abomination Vaults, you know you've you've you basically become the local legends, right? But uh, you know, what do you do with that prestige and fame? And um, the baseline assumption of Ruby Phoenix Tournament is that you, uh, of Fist of the Ruby Phoenix, is that you got an invitation, right? So how Jin hand selected her her uh, participating teams, she's like, oh, I want, ooh, that those people just just solve that huge dungeon over on the Alicordo. So I'm going to invite them. They seem like a good fit. <laughs> and um, these ones are evil, uh, you know, evil witches who want to destroy the world. I definitely want them to um, just <laughs> see what happens. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it'll be very easy to tie it in. Um, are there specific tie-ins? Not necessarily. Um, I think we might have thrown in a, a vague homage or something like that but uh you know the the two ap's are definitely meant to be played like on their own well they're definitely meant to be played like as able to play on their own um but they're very easy to slide one after the other because you know you just say you got an invitation because you're you're hot shots now yeah yeah i did think it was interesting that um you know if your characters are 11th level and you're doing a longer thing and you want to shift the tone just be like but before you go to the dungeon to do this you receive an invitation so it, it can kind of work in a lot of places it's, i mean if you want to give like a, a longer break or something in between a, a longer campaign um we have one more question here Strayu is saying is there any new equipment or weapons suitable for tournament or kaiju fights um I'm going to actually jump in a little bit first because I have something I'm, I was kind of excited about. Uh, it's not so much a kaiju fighting weapon, but uh, one thing that I've been talking about a lot is, you know, I'm from Hawaii and I've been trying to put a lot more Hawaiian stuff in lately. And there's this weapon called the Leomano, which is just basically a club that is inset with shark teeth. And I was like, that is, that is a fantasy weapon right there. So... Um, there's a number of new kind of basic equipment for this, and a lot of it is, you know, specifically the kind of weapons that you would see in this kind of like tournament thing. So we have those. Um, I think we have uh, hook swords and like wind fire wheels. So we have a lot of those. But uh, putting a Leomano in was my favorite. I want to give it the chainsaw rune from Lost Omens Character Guide. So 
Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a wild weapon. It's uh, yeah. Like you said, it, it kind of looks like a, a cricket bat or something with a bunch of spikes all over the side. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. 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 Um, they usually be shark teeth, but I'm like, this is fantasy. They can be like dragon teeth or something if we need them. Totally. To be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's some cool higher level items, but I, I'm not quite as familiar with them. There's, there's, uh, you know, as with all adventure paths, there's the adventure toolbox in each volume, and that has new rules for characters uh, uh, who play in the adventure path. And as you go through, you meet characters who can offer to teach you about a certain archetype or whatever, um, and then you'll unlock that archetype. And and they're all very much tied into the particular setting where you're at, whether that's uh, Bonmu or um, or Goka or or wherever yeah. the third adventure takes you. Um, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of plenty of new rules, and that'll really tie you into that part of the world for sure. We actually, um, Yvonne, ended up. I know you wrote this for Secrets of Magic, but this book would this book wouldn't usually be released by now. So I think I'm okay saying it. But um, I know you did uh, Fulu Talismans for Secrets of Magic, and yeah. I think we took some of those rules and ended up pulling them back into uh ready fight since you know obviously this is a place in the world where that kind of thing makes a lot of sense being um if there's anything you could say about maybe your you know what you pulled from when you were making those items uh so with foods this is gonna take me a while because it's been a while and <laughs> let's see I believe um, the one that we d included in this one was the Stonebreaker of Hulu. Yeah, I think which, so. Yeah. So Hulu's work, um, they're basically the same as talismans almost in a way, but they work a little differently in that um, they're uh, easier to apply, basically, in comparison mm -hmm. to talismans. Because talismans, you kind of need to do it, I, if I recall correctly, um, you need to take an hour outside of combat to use tools to put yeah. on. Whereas foolings uh, work a little bit differently in the sense that uh, you can basically slap it on kind of in the middle yeah. of battle, almost using an action to quickly basically possibly change um, the attribute of your armor, your weapon, or your person. And yeah, they're like however, the they also burn just as well. Yeah, yeah, those are the paper ones. Yeah. So it was, I was really happy that the kind of timeline worked mm -hmm. out right that uh logan who was the design lead for this um so i work in design but i wasn't the design lead for this project but logan was and he was also the design lead yeah. for series of magic so it was just like a very convenient way that we could kind of mm -hmm. move yeah. some of that material around there's also uh, some good uh, kaiju tie-ins for secrets of magic but i won't say anymore but there's some cool stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, well, uh, that that I think uh, about wraps it up. Um, do you, do yeah. you all want to uh, sign off and, and give your name and where people can find you on social media or whatever? I'm Patrick Greeny. I was the lead developer. Uh, don't look for me on social media. You won't find me. <laughs> Send me an email. Uh, <laughs> I'm James Case. I'm a designer and I was the writer for book three of this, King of the Mountain, and my social media handle is in the screen element because it is not say outloudable. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm Patrick Hurley. I was the editing lead uh, for the uh, Ruby Phoenix path, and I'm also a science fiction writer and on the side. And uh, my, yeah, my Twitter handle is my old college email address, sort of, uh, <laughs> Hurley Pat.
And um, Yvonne, uh, as for Twitter, you can find me at SenHHS, which is also the uh, pen name I write under for both Paizo and other stuff. Awesome. Thank you all. Really appreciate it. And uh, up next, uh, we'll be you'll be talking. You'll be seeing more of this face as we uh, as we do an interview with No Direction, as I do an interview with No Direction. Okay. Thank you all. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>